This morning I ask you, what's on your resume? Now, January is a time when many college seniors are preparing their resumes to apply for jobs, knowing that they need to put their best foot forward. Now, what's listed on that resume matters because it's likely to make or break the possibility of at least a phone interview. Resumes allow us to highlight our education and our experience and our competencies. When we apply for a job, we know that we're in a competition with many others who may or may not be qualified for the position. Our resume gives us a chance to stand out and above all the other applicants. And no one wants to be rejected from a job offer, even if they're uncertain that they want to accept that position. Well, as we read in Philippians just a moment ago, even the Apostle Paul shared his resume in this letter. He says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh or in their works, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Now, just to be clear, Paul wasn't applying for anything, but he wanted to make a point to the Philippian congregation about how his works were pretty impeccable. Paul would have certainly been a top candidate for a position on the Sanhedrin Council. In fact, I'm sure that he would have easily been elected the moderator. His resume made him stand out in Jewish society heads above everyone else. His theological education was top-notch. In fact, he was overqualified for any position that he could have applied for. But how about your resume? What makes you stand out above everyone else? Is it your educational acumen? Were you top in your class? Did you go to an Ivy League school or to a highly ranked school in your particular field of study? Do you have years of experience and accomplishments that detail your skill set and your competencies? What do you have that others don't? Why should you be chosen above the rest? You see, we all want to be chosen for whatever we apply for. No one applies hoping to be rejected. Many of us have tried out for sports teams or auditioned for plays, applied to educational institutions, applied for jobs, or even maybe for grants. And I hope that you have experienced the joy of being chosen for something that you've sought after. At the same time, I realize that many of us also know what it's like to be rejected. Sometimes we don't make the cut, and it can leave us feeling down about ourselves. As we begin our new sermon series entitled In Christ, we come to Paul's letter to the church in Corinth in which Paul talks about what it means to be chosen in Christ. And I can assure you that his message is good news for everyone. Now, Paul was a church planner and he established the church in Corinth and he writes to encourage them as they seek to live in Christ together. But the church is composed of sinful human beings who tend to lose their focus and direction at times. The Corinthian church is divided during this time that he writes because members are arguing over who they should follow. Some think that Paul is the greatest pastor and teacher. Others, Apollo, some think that it's Peter. And then there's some in the church who just say, well, we just follow Jesus. 
they are fighting within the church over which school of theological education is the greatest. Essentially, they are arguing over who's right and who's wrong. It's as if they are arguing over which pastor should be the pastor emeritus for all time. But Paul, Apollos, and even Peter, they haven't submitted any applications for such a request. In fact, Paul writes to unify them and to bring them back to the center. He instructs them that Christ is not divided, nor should they be. Paul even claims that wisdom and his message doesn't come from his great wisdom or his eloquent speech and ability to speak these deep and meaningful words, but that his wisdom and his ability to speak comes through the power of Christ. He reminds them that human wisdom is no match for the wisdom of God. In fact, he says the cross of Jesus is a stumbling block to the Jews who expected a warrior king to overthrow Rome. And it's foolishness to the Gentiles who focus on human wisdom and reason. Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Paul is saying that the wisdom of the world never recognized God in Jesus Christ, that the religious experts and theologians of the day were blinded to the reality of God right there in their midst. In fact, it was those who considered themselves uneducated, those who were considered unclean, those who were considered to be unlovable, who recognized Jesus for who he is. And so he goes on to say, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. You see, what Paul is doing is setting things up here to remind all of them not to think too highly of themselves. He goes on to say, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one can boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. I don't know about you, but to some degree it sounds somewhat demeaning of Paul to tell them that they weren't smart or influential or born into privilege and power when they were chosen by Christ. But honestly, the Corinthians know that Paul is right. This church is not a large church that's filled with wealthy and powerful people, although there may be some in the church who are. For the most part, this church is a blue-collar congregation that hasn't had the same opportunities that others have. Some of them are tradespeople. Some of them are slaves. And some probably have a higher standing in socioeconomic status. So the church in and of itself is a diverse congregation, but it's predominantly made up of people who would identify as lower class today. Yet Paul reminds them that God hasn't chosen the upper class. Those who have the most power and influence to be the bearers of the gospel. 
Instead, he's chosen the lowly and the despised and those who seem to be foolish by the world's standards. Isn't that consistent with the cross of Jesus Christ? Doesn't the cross turn everything expected upside down or rather right side up? The cross of Jesus proves that we can't earn our way to God or boast about our own accomplishments. The cross is simply about God's grace being chosen in him. Isn't this so typical of God also in Israel's past? As we read through the scriptures, particularly the Old Testament, who did God choose along the way to bear witness to him? Think about it. There was a man by the name of Abram, and we know him better as Abraham. He was 75 years old when God called him to leave his family and go wherever God would lead. It required faith and trust because he had no idea where God was going to take him. Abraham would have been considered beyond his prime, but God chose him anyway, and he blessed him because of his faith, and he made his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Moses was born a Hebrew slave. He became the prince of Egypt, and then he was forced to flee Egypt because he murdered an Egyptian for beating a Hebrew. But God chose him, someone who had acted out of anger in what he had done, someone who had a confidence and a stuttering problem to lead the Israelites out of slavery. And then there's Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, the enemy of the Israelites who granted two Israelite spies refuge. God chose a woman of ill repute, a person with a sketchy past to be redeemed and welcomed into the covenant community. And she just happened to marry a Jewish man and had a son named Boaz. Speaking of Boaz, we should probably mention another woman named Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite widow who chose to take care of her mother-in-law, Naomi, who was also widowed. She had nothing to her name and was forced to glean the fields to pick up all the food that was left over after it already had been harvested just to provide enough food for them to eat. But by God's grace, Boaz, a prominent Jewish man, fell in love with her. He married her, redeeming her pain and struggle. Their son together became the grandfather of David. Now, David was the youngest of all the sons of Jesse, a ruddy shepherd boy chosen by God to be the second king of Israel. But David was far from a saint. He became an adulterer and then a murderer, and yet God still chose to use him to lead the people of Israel. Well, in the New Testament, Jesus was born and began his ministry, and when he began his ministry, he called disciples to follow him He didn't travel to Jerusalem, to the temple, where all the religious experts of his day were. He didn't invite the theologians of the day to be a part of his disciples. Instead, he chose men from the region of Galilee. He chose Peter and James and John and Andrew, who were fishermen. He chose a man named Matthew, who was a tax collector. A man who would not be welcomed in his own society for working for the government of Rome. 
And Jesus also chose a man by the name of Judas, who was his accountant, but ended up betraying him. You see, throughout history, God has chosen ordinary people, and by choosing them by his grace, they have done extraordinary things for him. Those who are chosen by God are not selected because they are the smartest or the most affluent or the most gifted. They are chosen as a demonstration of God's grace. In fact, the nation Israel was not chosen as God's people because they were the greatest. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verses 7 and 8 tells us this. The Lord did not set his affection on you, Israel, and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples for you were the fewest of all peoples but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh king of Egypt you see we live in a world where life is a competition we build resumes that highlight our degrees and our accomplishments and experience Marketing ourselves so that we stand out amongst all the other candidates. Our high school students compare themselves to others by their grade point averages or their class ranks. In our school systems, we create academically gifted groups that only receive the best of the best, while those who struggle are often left behind. Our society compares people based on their income levels, creating hierarchies of lower, middle, and upper classes. There are many who go to trade school and become essential workers and they're easily looked down upon because they didn't pursue more prestigious careers. It's easy for people to judge others based on such things and elevate themselves as worthy or better or more competent. And so often we are identified and defined by worldly standards of achievement and allow ourselves to be defined that way, losing sight of what matters most. Paul, Paul reminds us that being chosen by Christ is not about what we bring to the table. Being in Christ is simply God's grace that meets us where we are. He says it is because of him, Jesus, that you are in Christ Jesus. And the cross of Jesus Christ brings us righteousness, holiness, and redemption, not because we've earned it or because our resumes are superior to all the others, but because Jesus' love and grace is all that we need. And we could brag about all of our accomplishments in life if we wanted to, but when it comes to our faith, when it comes to our belief in Jesus Christ, our standing when it comes to being people who follow Jesus, there is no boasting at all in our life in Christ. Unless, of course, we boast about what Christ has done for us. In fact, the Apostle Paul offers his resume to the Philippians, but then he says this at the end of it, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul had all these things that were so great that made him so qualified that at the end of the day, those were irrelevant. They didn't amount to anything. They were garbage compared to knowing Christ as Lord and experiencing Christ's grace. 
You see, like Paul, the only thing that we can brag about is how Christ's grace is free and has freely chosen us in him. You see, God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And he chooses us as we are, and he equips us and leads us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do things that you and I never thought that we could do. And it doesn't matter if we're young or older, widowed or married, Jew or Gentile, or even if we've made big mistakes in our past. God's grace is greater than all of those things. Jesus doesn't host tryouts. He doesn't ask for applications. He simply calls us to accept his grace and to allow ourselves to be chosen by him. And it's also true that he doesn't send rejection letters. Although he is often rejected by those who refuse to walk in his ways. So friends, as we gather together on this day, may we rejoice that we have been chosen by Christ to live in him as his covenant community. Let us not to think, think too highly of ourselves or think that we know more, that we're better than our brothers or sisters. For church is not a competition. It's not about that. Instead, as people saved by the same grace of Jesus Christ, accepted into this family of faith together, let us boast of the grace that has been given to us. Let us boast that Christ has chosen us, not because we're qualified, but out of his great love and mercy that meets us where we are, but refuses to leave us that way. Friends, may it be so, this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, let us... Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you come to us, that you meet us where we are, that you have entered into this world and you have sought us out. You have called us by name. Your grace refuses to leave us alone. And you hold us, Lord, in the grip of your grace. We thank you that you do not choose us based on our qualifications. That You choose us because you love us. And in loving us, you call us to follow in your ways as a response to all that you've done. And so, God, we pray that you would help us to simply accept that grace, to live into that grace, and to also extend that grace as we seek to be the people that you have called us to be, your church, who at times don't always have the right answers or know everything, but we look to you source of all wisdom for all that we do, for how we live in community together. Lord, guide us and teach us as we seek you and help us to follow in your ways. For we ask these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And let all of God's children joyfully say, Amen. Friends, as we close our time together this day, if you have felt touched by the Holy Spirit this day, if you have felt touched by Christ's grace, I encourage you to respond. And you may respond by giving of yourself, of your time, of your talents, and of your resources. 
If you would like to give to the church in response of your resources, I encourage you to go to our website, firstpresboon.org, and to click on the Give button where you can give a portion of what God has already entrusted to your care. Together as God's people, we might give of ourselves as God has given so much to us. Friends, may you do so at this time. And may the Lord bless you and keep you this day. May his face shine upon you. May he give you his countenance and his grace and fill you with his peace. Friends, may your creator, may your redeemer, and may your sustainer be with you this day and forevermore. Amen.